When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another edition of the show. It is March 9th, 2022, episode 303, and we're joined today by the head coach at the University of Little Rock. It's Neil Ayersman. Neil, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, how was your Mother's Day? It was good. It was good. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, uh, we went to church. We, we cooked out. Um, took my wife to breakfast before church, and we actually just hung out. We just kind of relaxed a little bit, and so it was great. How about you? Uh, it, it was great. We, uh, we woke up actually, um, there's a, a trail right around the lake downtown. We took a little walk and then went to my in-laws with my wife and our kids and they got a above ground pool and we swam and had a good time and had some halushki. You ever heard of halushki? I have not. What's that? Um, it's like noodles and cabbage and ham and sausage. So oh, nice. All kind of cooked together. So tasty. Tastes a little cheap. But, um. We're here to talk wrestling, and uh, obviously you, you took over the job at Little Rock, what, three or four years ago? Yeah, 2018, so four years ago, four and years we've ago. competed for three years. Yeah, and so you had, you had I don't know, a, a missed NCAAs that year, and then we a really condensed last year. How nice was it just to get back and have some regularity um, to wrestling? <laughs> I mean, it, it was really our first, you know, we had a full season, our first year, but we wrestled the minimum dates. We had 22 guys on the team. Um, it was a completely different experience than this first year. So, yeah, I mean, it was our first year in a full season, ready to rock, and um, it was a uh, it, it was awesome. It was it, it was awesome to be back to normal. I mean, you know, you say normal, but you're still doing the COVID tests and you're still doing all that. But as normal as to a real schedule and 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 a full competition slate as possible. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, how do you assess the performance this year? You know, what, considering where you started at the beginning of the year, development with the guys, building what you need to build this team. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about success, you gotta you you kind of have to um, categorize it. You know, as far as expectations and um, you know actual results and um, where you've come from, right? Um, I think that our expectations are pretty high and you can tell that by the schedule that we compete in, you know, that, that we compete in the, the conference that we're in, um, our recruiting that we've done. Um, but you know, our, we've been building, we've been building since day one. And, um, my assessment is, is that we have grown drastically. We, we, we've gone from boys to men. Um, we have, uh, improved on the mat, I mean, just just drastically from you know wh- where we started. We're we're in duels against teams that you know have been around for you know a, historically a long time, and we're going from not winning matches to um, you know sending six into overtime or losing on a challenge, and um, all of a sudden you know fifteen seconds uh, in, in a whole span of a duel, and, and and we win the duel, right? Like we're competing, we're 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 right there. And I think that we've reached that point where we've had some really good guys, you know, you know, some guys do some great things, go to nationals and uh, win a lot of matches. And, but it's kind of like this feeling of just this year, the, the bubble is about to, to burst here. And I think that's really where a lot of us are. And 
that's really what we feel. We really feel like we're on that bubble of just jumping to the next level and doing more than taking a guy to nationals, you know, taking five or six, putting one or two in, in, on the podium and um, having several be right there around a 12. And um, that, that's just the, the season was a story of seconds, right? Yeah. <laughs> a story of five seconds here, 10 seconds there, uh, you know, finish that single leg on the edge and, you know, you, you beat the top 10 guy again for the fifth time this year. Right. And so, um, I think that's where, you know, really where we ended up was we closed the gap from really not even being in the, in, in the conversation to, um, I guess a simple way to put it is, fin- you know, finish that single leg on the edge and we're, we're a whole different animal. It's funny you mentioned something like a duel where you lose a bunch of close matches, right? Maybe you can feel good about it. When I when when I was at Missouri, we lost the first couple of years I was there. Oklahoma State just piss pounded us and whatever. And then the third year, I think it was, we lost eight to two matches, but it was one or two overtimes, one or two third second period reverse, whatever reversal, you know. And um, you know we came off the mat feeling good, and Oklahoma State went home pissed off right um was there an example of something like that this year that you can think of that you guys maybe you lost but man you felt you know you felt good about it for whatever reason something like that is there a duel or yeah like, you know yeah. the 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 first duel that comes to mind is the oregon state duel man i mean we were scrapping in in five or six of these matches and um it, it, it got a little tough at you know with the upper weights um you know outside of heavyweight but um, man, we had like four or five matches where it was like, uh, a challenge changed the entire direction of the match. Um, you know, we were, we had a cradle locked up to win it at, at, at 165 and it got stopped three times. And, um, it, just, yeah, I, I, I think of the Oregon state match, um, what, what was a much closer match looked kind of ugly on paper, but I mean, there was four or five matches where it changes the complete direction of the whole match yep um so looking forward with this team what what excited you, you mentioned earlier recruiting excites you um anything you can talk about recruiting wise yeah i mean we, we've we've got a you know some good transfers coming in uh we got some we our guys are now got a couple years under their belt and they are they're more than competitive and they're grown up physically mentally emotionally um, and, and not to sidetrack too much, but the, you know, the thing about the process of starting a new program is that everything is done for the first time. So you don't have, uh, you know, like when you were at Mizzou, you don't, you know, you might not have that guy that's been there and done that. Right. I mean, you had Askren and, and, but when you are, the, when, when you're at a you know program where you, you know, you got five national champions in the room where you got five All-Americans or you got three All-Americans. You got someone to show you the way a little bit. And um, that's a th- that, that's a thing that we've been missing. Um, and in our recruiting, we've been able to build some real depth and some real competition in our room. Um, you know, last year's freshman class was, uh, you know, by some rankings, a, a top 25 class. And then this year's, you know, our class uh, is – probably a top 20 class and uh it, we, we've got some young young good guys uh couple that with some older guys who still have two to three years left that are uh, you know for, i think we had four guys that uh, lost to go to nationals in that match at pac 12s right so um with our recruiting and with our age and our experience uh we're kind of primed to have a little bit of a of, of a come in and uh, sh- show you the way a little bit. And then we got some young guys that as long as they're not afraid to step up, they could be making a huge impact right away. How far is Tulsa from Little, Little Rock? Uh, three hours. Three hours. How fast you drive. So that's probably a pretty nice, you know, uh, thing for you guys next year, having it in your backyard. But I don't think there's any school closer. Uh, one of the Oklahoma's closer? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, uh, which are pretty close. OU is is four and a half, and then uh, Stillwater's four, so okay. it's not not too far. Mizzou's five and a half. Yeah, We're right, kind of right there. Sure. Um, thinking about where you are as a coach today, developmentally, um, 
And then going back to like, I don't know, when you first stepped foot in, into the room at UNC as a coach, um, how much have you grown? How much have you grown and developed? And I guess really what kind of growth did you make at, at UNC or is that, does that make a sense of question here? Yeah. Um, What'd you learn? You know, I learned, it's kind of like each stop you learn something that it, or you learn a few things that, that have really changed the direction of how you look at it, how you work, how you, you know, wake up and think about it every single day. Um, and w- when I was at UNC, I learned how to recruit. Um, I learned how to recruit well because you got the academic piece that's very hard to, to navigate. Um, you got the you know, financial aid piece that's, you know, that's different. Um, you got a different, you got a different, quality of student athlete right like you you got you got a student athlete who puts a lot a lot of um pressure on themselves academically and so you're you know and then i was kind of in that world of uh you know i grew up in the midwest and recruiting kids from the northeast and learning a whole different culture a whole different way of life and uh it changed my perspective a lot um uh being at carolina helped me understand how to how, from a recruiting standpoint, how it's important to, you can't just go after a couple guys. You got to kind of cast a big net, right? And you got to really find, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you, what I learned at Carolina was finding my fit. You got to find a fit of a kid that fits your school. You have to fit them. They have to fit you. And I, I, I learned that really, really quickly. And, you know, you, you can get the best kid in the country, but if it's not a good fit, it's, you know, it's probably not going to work. Um, I also learned that, that kids, um, you know, you have kids that know who they are. Um, but most kids don't, when they get to college, they don't know what they stand for. They don't, they, you know, they come in as a wrestler and, and then they're, they got real life hitting them in the face and, you know, over and over. And so kind of learned to, to grow in my identity as who I am and to be strong in that and not to waver. Uh, that was something I struggled with in the beginning. Uh, just being in a in you, you're in an environment where you're in Chapel Hill. It's it's fun. It's the the weather's nice. The campus is awesome. You know, there's parties everywhere, and helping people really know who they are and stand up and stand out in those in in those areas. Um, those are some of the things I I learned when I got to to Chapel Hill. Sure, and I guess kind of same question, but like. Now in Little Rock, and obviously being a head coach, there's different responsibilities. There's nobody telling yeah. you you have to figure it all out and delegate it and do it and make it happen and and probably come up and create a lot of whatever it is. Yeah, I I think that you're exactly right when you say um, you have to do it all. Right? It's not it's not I have to do it all. It's um, <clears throat> it's more of like I have to. There's, there's a whole set of different, you, you feel alone, right? Like you feel like you're alone at the top. And, um, in, in the end, these assistant coaches can go find another job and they can go do these things and they can get out. Like this is our program, but essentially it falls on the way to me. Right. And of, of what my guys are doing, what my coaches are doing. So I, I, I learned quickly, um, that after being here at little rock, like it doesn't matter what happens. I can do anything in the world. <laughs> when you're starting a program from scratch and you got to, and you got to recruit 24 guys and you got to fundraise and you don't have an assistant coach to start off. Like it kind of hardens you up a little bit. And, uh, it really teaches you about the value of your time. Like your time is valuable. And what do you, you know, I might have the same skill set as Bader and I might have the same, uh, you know, speed, strength, toughness, technique, whatever but what am I getting out of my eight hour day versus what are you getting out of your eight hour day? And I think I've learned that a lot here at little rock. And I think that's what separates a lot of people in our profession is, you know, the value of your time. So I learned a lot about that. Um, I learned a lot about um, creating and recruiting to a value system instead of just, instead of just casting a big net and finding the fit. Um, I, I, I learned about recruiting to the things that we value and creating a value system that is a strong, strong foundation that our program can be built on. And when you do that and you have a strong message, people gravitate to it because there's no way uh, based on <laughs> logic or what people would put on paper that we, that, that we should be getting some of the recruits that we're getting and that we should be, 
you know, where we're at in this short period of time. And, um, you know, maybe that's just bias, but uh, I, I, I truly believe that. So you, you just mentioned a value system, right? Do you guys have like a, 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 a defined value system that you're talking about or is it a more conceptual? Uh, a and B, right? So, um, our, so I, when I sat down to apply for this job, I kind of created a 20,000 foot view and I wanted to have a view of, of, of feet on the ground, right? So we started with, and it, it was ironic, one of my, you know, kind of the word that I wanted to build everything around was grit, right? Greatness, righteousness, uh, intensity, and toughness. And then I, and I add some other things in there like grace, um, and, uh, you know, toughness, teamwork together. Um, but, you know, really kind of based it around the word grit, like let's be great in everything we do, whether it's academics, whether it's serving in the community, whether it's on the mat, um, whether it's how we think, um, let's, let's, let's have that integrity and that, and that intensity, uh, that you need uh, when you're at this level uh, of of it all it, it's all encompassing. Usually, you see guys that are successful; they have kind of the whole package, right? So, um, and then you know, when it comes to righteousness, like doing the right thing, do the right thing at all times. We don't need team rules. <laughs> if you have to think about whether it's right or wrong, you probably shouldn't do it, right? And then you know, just that 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 toughness and teamwork together doing all that together that kind of encompasses our values right and so we kind of break it down and we say uh these are the three things that you're going to focus on every single day right number one you're going to live and wrestle for something bigger than yourself whether that's your faith your family uh, your background whatever it is we want you to have an identity in who you are outside of wrestling and then number two is we're going to control the things that we can control on a daily basis Attitude, effort, accountability, right? Like no one can, like, it doesn't matter your situation, Bader. No one can control your effort. No one can control your attitude. And you can always be accountable to the things that you said you were going to do. And then the last part is great relationships. Like iron sharpens iron. And that's a, you know, that's a Bible verse that everyone likes to, to say, but it's, it's so much deeper. Like you wake up and, and you got to fight with each other. You got to have each other's back. You got to serve with each other. You got to get out and help each other. Like there's a there's a time in wrestling where, and and I'm sure you saw it. Like you might not be the guy, and part of you growing is serving him, uh, or or serving in the community and getting out and building a program around us. So that's really uh, the three things that we tell people, and kind of the 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 basis of our values. It's interesting. You said there's no rules. Do like did you have team rules? growing up in high school or college or, you know, co as a coach? Yeah, we, we, we always had team rules. Um, and, no, don't get me wrong. Like we have our team contract and like, Hey, look, you, you want to be a knucklehead and, and you want to be, <laughs> you want to be reckless. And then, yeah, you know, you're going to break these rules. But I always start with, we got our contract and that's if you want to be dumb and then uh, here's the actual rule, right? Do the right thing. And that allows them to process and make decisions and not just say, hey, these are the rules we got to break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, I had a, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of rules growing up, for sure. Okay. Not a big rule guy, though. You should just know him. It's right, it's right, it's wrong, well, it's wrong. I, 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 I get it. I'm more of a, I'm more of a moral person, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, let's create a set of standards and morals that develops who we are. And then through that process, we can identify that, hey, I probably shouldn't be doing that anymore. Or that's not really who I am. Yeah. And I try to check them that way um, and, and put them in check that way so that they can move forward and make decisions that are great and not just jump in line. Like there's going to be things you're always going to have to jump in line for. You're going to have to have some blind obedience in this world to, yeah. to, to make it. But you know, let's create a, a, a solid foundation, a line that says, hey, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. And if you want to be a part of our program, you're going to have to get in line with that. Sure. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit. Still talking wrestling, obviously, but name, image, likeness, NIL, it's a thing. Kids can get paid um, for the name, image, and likeness, and it's happening. Um, your thoughts on this ruling, I guess? Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, where do you even start? We 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 kind of just 
chatted briefly about it before we got on here, but it's uh, it's an opportunity for these student athletes to make to to be compensated off of their name, uh, what they built, and what they've done. I think there's a lot of mixed opinions about it, right? Good, bad, ugly. Um, I mean, it is it's here, and whether I like it or not, like we have to adjust to it. And I think it's going to change some more. Like we, you know, it, it's there was just a proposed legislation that any booster or uh, person that contacted an athlete up to this point and persuaded them to come to their team, there's going to be some some uh, uh, some punishment, you know, discipline, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but NIL is a very broad topic, and if you, <laughs> I can keep talking forever about it. But like, if you got anything specific, yeah, we can nail it out. Sure. Um, you know, what do you know about these collectives, right? I believe these these alumni groups and whatnot are coming together, putting together collectives. Mm-hmm. Do, do you guys have one? Is, is Little Rock have a? We have a couple people, but uh, we're working on some other things first uh, to build our foundation. But I do know a lot about collectives. Yeah, I've 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 heard a lot. I actually have friends that are part of a collective, um, and it's basically a group of people that are getting together and saying, "Hey." Um, we know the school can't do this, so we're gonna we're gonna take it upon ourselves, and we're gonna put the funds together and make it happen. And that's, I think that's the natural reaction when you're not supposed to when the coaches aren't supposed to be directly communicating about NILs or working with. For sure, I mean it's it's kind of what you have to do. Can can. So you just said there's a proposed legislation to come after anybody who took or was persuaded, right? Are, are these people who put these collectives together allowed to persuade potential recruits? Or so what, what's, how does I think, I think that's, uh, I think that that is, you know, regardless of how you want to say it, that's what's happening. These groups are putting together um, basically a board or a group through, you know, maybe a potential nonprofit, maybe just a group of businessmen to persuade student athletes to come to that university that they want to support. And, um, man, it's just, it's such a slippery slope of how that's going to work and this retroactive, you know, what defines the people who fall under the category that previously had offered NIL deals to people. Right. And I mean, and, and this still has to get approved. This is like just uh, the NCA saying, Hey, there's a lot of this going on tampering, right. We can call it tampering where coaches are reaching out via, uh, you know, alumni or boosters or parents. Um, there's a lot of, and you know, a lot of these are rumors. I'm not saying I have any of these for fact, but this is just a lot of the talk. Uh, and in in a lot of sports, and they're reaching out to other athletes from other teams to make these deals happen. Um, I think it originally set out to uh, probably in the original meetings it was, hey, we're going to persuade recruits by creating nil you know nil deals. Um, but it's really moved into the transfer portal, and um, as you can see, that people are making a living off the transfer portal and packaging. Whether you know the coaches are involved or not, that's not my point. But you know these are getting packaged with NIL deals through these groups of people. So, man, I don't. I mean, it's. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's here and it's being it's about to be regulated. But I just don't see how it's going to work. I don't, I, I don't see how they're going to regulate it. You're going to go if you know if you're calling people for Mizzou or who, who's going to come ask for your phone records or who's going to come yeah. ask for your email records, right? Like. I, I don't know how it's going to work. It's but it's about to, it's about to change. I mean, it's been changing for a while for wrestling specifically, but it's about to get much bigger and much broader. And that was kind of my question. You had mentioned it at the, at the beginning, right? You said it's it's going to change quite a bit. And do you have like a, a picture or a, I don't know, vision, but like how how you think it will change, how and how will affect and impact programs? Well, I think that. Right now, it's kind of unhinged. It's um, it is there's big numbers being thrown around, and I think that's going to have to come back into balance, right? Because these businessmen, you know, unless they're just willing to waste their money, which a lot of people are, um, there's 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 implications. There's taxes implications. You know, you you have to justify why 
it costs you 150,000 to have that athlete, you know, on your NIL, like, did they bring $150,000 worth of, of sponsorship is if you want to call it right? Well, you know, the the IRS doesn't look at it that way. So some of these people are going to give a lot of this money and then, you know, come a few years down the road, it's going to be like, well, you know, I'm tired of not getting that tax break. I'm tired of not. Um, so we're just going to do X, Y, and Z. So I, I, I think it kind of, it's got to kind of run its course, right? It's kind of, it's got to run its course and then come back center. And I think when it comes back, comes back center, I think that, um, these kids will be making some good money, but it won't be, it won't continue to be this outrageous numbers that we're hearing hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars Um, I think it's going to settle back down. And I think that, um, whoever can really create a profitable situation for the student athlete and for the business or however it's set up, uh, I think those are the ones that are going to be successful. And I think that there's going to be some people who are just not going to participate and say, Hey, that's not who we are. Um, we can help you on the back end and with some training and stuff like that. But that's, I, I kind of see it getting cut loose and then coming back center and then we'll really figure out what it is. You think it's, this is a good thing for wrestling? Um, I do think that it is helpful for the visibility and the growth of our sport. Um, I'm not sure it's healthy from the standpoint of that gap might continue to grow, right? That gap from the top to the bottom, the haves, the have nots, we might, we might see a much, much bigger gap. And the issue with that there is, is that um, you're going to have to have the coaches that want to, <laughs> that want to do this or else they're going to sit back and, um, that's when you start to see programs get lost and then they get lost and then they get that big D word, the big drop word. Right. And, and because they're, <laughs> they're not successful, they're not sending guys to nationals, they're not competing in their conference. Right. And so it is good in a way because it makes us work harder and it makes us be more innovative, but uh, it's not good if there's programs that aren't willing to do that and keep up or be innovative enough to supplement instead of keep up. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could probably go on for days about, about NIL, but I, that's a good perspective. And I, and I like hearing from, from you on that topic. There's, there's one other thing I did want to get to maybe two, but, um, all right. You're like, you're a hero. I, I need to hear the story here. You said somebody was choking. You saved them. Where were you kind of walk, walk us through the scenario and, and, Tell me how this happened and how you reacted. Yeah, so this was, I don't know, maybe a month ago, um, three weeks ago. Uh, it, was, it was a Sunday morning. My, my family and I were going to church like we always do. Uh, my son had a friend spend the night, one of his, you know, one of his kids from his wrestling club. And, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty punctual when it comes to being on time for church, right? Like, I really don't like being late for anything, but... Hey, we're going to be on time. We're going to, we're, we're going to participate and, and blah, blah. Um, well that morning it was just seemed like if it went wrong that morning, it went wrong. Like I got a new griddle and it wasn't working right. And I was trying to cook all these pancakes for all the kids and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I was just okay with being late to church that day because <laughs> it was just a nightmare of a morning. And, um, my, my wife finally goes, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm leaving and I'm taking the girls. You take the boys. Cause we got a lot of kids. Yeah. So, um, so finally I leave right about as church starts about nine fifteen. Um, there's a, so from my house to church, there's a boulevard and there's a big ravine in the middle and you can't just like cross the boulevard to get the other side. And so some businesses are on the right, some businesses are on the left. And I just happened to be coming around a turn or, 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 you know, a big corner and there's a bunch of new businesses over there, car wash, bank, tropical smoothie um and i look over and i just take a quick glance and um i see a uh, a lady doing the heimlich just outside of her car like up by the bank and i just kind of looked and i was like i didn't just see that and so i kind of looked back again i was like crap i was like she's actually doing the heimlich like like looks it looks like something's wrong and by that point i missed the one turn that i could get really quickly 
And so I sped up and I'm kind of watching through my rearview mirror and um, I'm seeing that people are just passing, like nobody's stopping. And like clearly this lady is doing the Heimlich. <laughs> so I speed up and I turn around um, and I drive as fast as I can back and I pull up. And I remember telling, you know, I had three little boys in the back, uh, two 10-year-olds and a four-year-old. And I was like, everybody close your eyes. Because I really didn't know what I was getting into and I didn't want them to see something they didn't need to see and so uh i pull up and i was like hey is she choking and the mama was like laying across the front seat exhausted at this point like couldn't hardly stand up talking to 911 and she was like yes she's choking on a donut hole um uh, and so i asked 911 i was like do you want me to do the heimlich and he was like yes absolutely and so at this point she was she was unconscious uh, I think she's 12, 13 years old. And I picked her up and started doing the Heimlich. And uh, it really wasn't working that well. I, like, I remember praying, like, God, please don't let this mama watch her baby die. And then all of a sudden, I started hearing, like, <clears throat> every time I did it. So I just kept going. And then fortunately, yeah, I had her here. And I was kind of holding her up with my knee, you know, underneath her and trying to do the Heimlich and I mean I was pretty tired at this point like wrestling a match is hard but holding up you know what feels to be a like body is yeah I was yeah. standing and trying to hold her up and do the Heimlich all at once I mean and then yeah. fortunately I, I, I got exhausted and I, and I had to sit down for a second and I saw a lady that I knew her son plays soccer with my four year old and she stopped coming out of the car wash which there have been like three cars go by and I was, and I was kind of getting irritated not irritated i was pretty mad that they weren't stopping yeah um and she wrote on the window and she was like are you okay i'm like no she's choking and it just happened that this lady was a cpr instructor so she knew how to do the heimlich at a hospital and so uh which is another really cool god moment right like like just putting the right people at the right time so she comes over and i hold her up from the front and the lady starts doing the heimlich um we rotate a couple times and then at this point she was like we just have to do chest compressions because it's not working so we lay her down we start doing chest compressions and this is probably about one minute before like i could hear the sirens at the time we start doing chest compressions and i just kind of saw something shoot up out of her mouth a little bit and air you could see she was breathing and her eyes came back and uh, it was i mean at that point i, I really didn't think I knew there was going to be a miracle for her to make it and because it just didn't, it didn't look good at all. Um, and finally the ambulance get there, they get her, they have to go to the hospital, get it unlodged. Um, thank God she's all right. They actually go to church with us and I'd never seen them before. So that was, um, cool. We saw them the next week at church and the little girl's perfectly fine. Um, you know, it's, you know, especially for the eight to 10 minutes that she was unconscious, like, um, she probably shouldn't be okay, but she's perfectly fine. So, so I was gonna ask, eight to th like, was she, was she conscious when you got there? How long were you there before? Well, just was she, was she conscious when you got there? How long so were you I CPR? Think, so I think, and the, and this is all a guesstimate, right? Uh, I know that it took about eight or nine minutes for the ambulance to get there. Um, I think that the mama had just called nine one one about, about the time I turned around, right? Uh, because she was doing the Heimlich when I pulled by. So yeah. I was probably there from start to finish, 10 minutes. And I'll be honest with you, it, like when I when the ambulance got there and they got her, I texted my wife and said, sorry, I missed church. Like, I'll explain when when I get done. And my wife's like, we just finished worship. Like, there, there's no, like, church is just starting, <laughs> you know. And so it seemed like an eternity yeah. in the moment, you know, like it. it it, it really felt like forever. Did you, I mean, sounds like you didn't think she was going to make it. Did uh, Fear, panic, like, can you describe how you were feeling, thinking? In that um, eight to ten I minutes, think, it felt like an hour. I, so I think, you know, number one, like, I think it's the way God made me. Um, I don't think that most people are as, like, I always say it as a joke like this, like I'm like a dog, it's like a squirrel, 
right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm always all over the place and I just happen to look over. Right. And so at that point, like, I think I was maybe kind of trying to talk myself out of, you know, be like, Oh, that wasn't what I thought it was. And then I was like, no, I have to look. And I looked yeah. and I would say that I was like, okay, I got to do something. Right. And then when I pulled up and I realized it was from a dad perspective, when I realized that it was a mama who could no longer do anything, I think that's what just kicked me into like, all right, God, whatever you, you brought me here for a reason. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of say it like this, like you think you have courage until you do it. And then you don't have courage in the moment. You just do it. You just like, you just act. And yeah. then you realize how courageous it was to do it in the moment. Right. And so it takes a lot to just jump in. I think my thought process was really basically like, number one, I'm here for a reason. I'm never late for church. Number two, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, um, I'm a dad and this mom needs help and I would want someone to help me. And, yeah. and that was, it was really hard to, to like, you know, like I said earlier, I was just praying, God, please don't let this mama watch your baby die. And I think that it, it, I didn't feel any pressure on me. I just didn't want this mama to see this. And I think yeah. that was kind of a big part of my thought process. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so, so you said um, she coughed or breathed or something, mm -hmm. but, but but was the thing still stuck? So it was still stuck, but she was had a pathway. She, she had a. I mean, when I tell you it was a piece, it was a small, small piece of donut hole, and I saw it just come up out of her mouth as the lady was doing the, the, the chest compressions. Um, and so at that point, like you could see the life come back in her face and it was like, oh my gosh, she's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we kind of kept looking at each other like, oh, where's the ambulance? Like, yeah. And then when, and then we saw that, like, and then unfortunately the young girl had a seizure. So we had to roll her over and that was part of a, you know, a, a bigger, um, she has a, what's called Angelman syndrome and, um, I'm not exactly sure what's part of that but that's part of her syndrome that she has so she was kind of having both choking and having a seizure uh, right you know right right before the ambulance got there and so we, you know we rolled her over and then got her back and it was it was just why i mean it was a lot to, i mean there's probably more to the story but like the more you ask questions the more i can remember of what happened in the moment you know yeah did you did you i don't know okay, I'll see you. Or did you stick around and talk to the ambulance and tell them what happened? Or I don't know. It was extremely odd because the ambulance pulls up. It was the firefighters got there, right? And then the ambulance was shortly behind them and the police officers were right behind them. Um, they got there and she was breathing a little bit, so they really didn't do much. They kind of just took their time and like me and a lady were kind of getting frustrated like hey you know like we got to get this out like and they were just taking their time um they didn't do a whole lot they put her on the stretcher and got her into the ambulance um i felt like they were pretty cold to the situation they were obviously had either been around it a lot or knew she was going to be okay but they didn't say much and we kind of walked over and you know we hugged the mama and we were like you know, we're, we'll be praying for her. just, you know, hope she's okay. And we asked the ambulance and the firefighters and police, if we needed to say anything or they're like, Nope, you're good. And it was like, everybody just left. And there wasn't much discussion about what happened or anything like that. They just showed up, took her away. And that was that. And we walked away and I went to church, you know, <laughs> that's crazy. It, How it was really, really odd. It was yeah. like the lady looked at me and she was like, that helped me. And she was like, well, I guess I'll see you at soccer on, on, on Friday. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like she said that to me and I was like, I know, I don't really know what to do. I'll see you later. And I just got in my truck and drove to church. That's like such a unique, not even the right, doesn't do it justice thing that happened. Um, experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you know, for me, like I'm looking into like, how can I get all my guys CPR certified? Because being in the moment and saying that you're going to help is completely different than being in the moment and actually helping. 
Yeah. And it was like my mind went blank when it came to what I need to do. And I just listened to the 911 operator, which was great, right? But like you kind of, now that I'm prepared for it, I'll, and I've been, and I've done it, then I'll know what to do next time, right? Like I couldn't think about how many chest compressions I needed to do. I couldn't think about exactly where my hands needed to be placed. Like, yeah. so I, I, I really want my guys to be able to do that because that's not a feeling that you want to have to show up and be like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know? Yeah. I can't YouTube it right now. <laughs> no i can't i don't have the time for that yeah exactly. <laughs> that's true you can't youtube it uh so i don't know the mom right you said when you showed up she was maybe just laying in the car seat almost at the seat of the car almost exhausted yeah. not that she gave up but just probably hand throw her hands up what when you're out here with with the cpr lady what's the mom doing the whole time she stay in the car did she finally come out um so <laughs> There was another lady who showed up who was very grateful for. Her. She kind of helped hold the the girl up the last couple minutes with yeah. me and the other lady. Um, and then the mama was just praying over her daughter, which I thought was really cool because what else can you do as a mama, right? Yeah. Instead of just screaming hysterically, um, she showed her faith really quickly, and it was pretty awesome. Um, she and she was crying and she was upset and i think you know after a couple of minutes she was able and the other lady got there she was able to she was talking to 911 the whole time and praying and um she was kind of giving us like hey she's she has seizures she's she's seizing and so we would you know roll her over and um yeah the the, the mama was helpful and she was you know we were definitely grateful for her prayers at the moment because it was I mean, it was a God moment to for that to even end the way it did. And I think it was all combined, like, together. Like, you know, I'm a wrestling coach. I move bodies for a living. I can pick a body up, right? And the mama couldn't do that. And um, the lady had CPR. She knew what to do. And the other lady, that the, the random lady that stopped was, uh, you know, she was – encouraging and loud and helpful and in her own way and the mama was just letting letting her emotions take over and help us you know tell about her daughter of like how we can help her in the moment and praying over and it was like a cool little um it was a cool little miracle that happened that god put all the right people in the right place at the right time it's a fascinating story uh so i don't know it awkwardly or kind of maybe abruptly weirdly ends and you just kind of go your separate ways you go to church did you come in and tell you like did you when did you tell your wife and how you know did you wait till the end of, after church <laughs> were you like you're never gonna believe this <laughs> well she so i think that i remember walking in and like i like like cut up my elbow i have no idea how i did it um and probably sweating. i was just I was sweating, right? Yeah. And so I had my boots and my jeans on. I completely sweat through my, my button down. And I was not shaking from like being scared. I was physically exhausted. And so I walk in and I remember, I think I text my wife and said, I had to stop on the side of the road and help do the Heimlich to someone who was choking. Um, I'm on my way. Cause at that point I'd already texted her and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I missed church. And she was like, we're just getting started. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. you got time to come if you want. I understand if you don't, and I was like, no, I'll come. So she was waiting for me at the front. And I just like, I, I, I actually asked one of the, you know, one of the campus pastors, I was like, I need like 10 bottles of water. <laughs> and because I was just, it was like, you just got done with a hard, like you just wrestled, 15 matches and you can't stand up like that's what it felt like and i was just exhausted and it was a lot less i think it was a lot of emotions but also like it was physically hard to yeah. hold a human being up like that and try to help them i mean i can only imagine like the adrenaline running through your body as this is happening and then more slowly like like you said 15 wrestling matches along with what's at stake and what's on the line and the whole you know situation um, yeah i just kind of sat there the rest of church and i was like just grateful 
you know, I said I had a big sense of gratefulness and I was like never buying donut holes for my kids ever. Um, you know, I mean, that might sound funny, but those thoughts go through your head, you know, your yeah. head. And, um, I just, I, I, I really, really thought as church went on, like, I just need to know if that little girl's okay. You know? And I think that was the big thing that got me at the end was like, when I heard she was okay, it was like, all right. When you find out she was okay. About an hour and a half after church ended because uh-huh. the lady actually runs all of the kids ministry at our church. She's in charge of scheduling everybody. And she had texted a bunch of the pastors and, um, you know, one of our good friends is a pastor at the church and like just gave me an update. Like he had, I don't know how he found out I was involved, but he gave me an update about an hour and a half after. And it was, it was all better. <laughs> what a, were you just like, wound up the rest of the day you know what i mean like you can't like undo that it was like leg day where you like when you walk your legs are heavy yeah i remember that like it, it was like leg day all day my like my legs were heavy all day and it was just like it was just heavy in general not just physically but like mentally and emotionally and not like uh i don't want you to feel for me like i honestly feel bad talking about that like i've been on the news three or four different times and you know, because the mama kind of has to relive it every single time that, that it's, it's on our local radio and yeah. news station. Um, but that, that, that heaviness was lifted a little bit knowing she was okay, but it was, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's a hard, hard thing to describe when you're trying to tell someone that like, when you saw someone who looked lifeless for so long and then barely came back and it didn't necessarily look good when she left, like that's a, that's a heavy feeling the rest of the day. Um, crazy oh so what what, you know what'd you say when you saw that mom at soccer practice the next time you guys just like uh (laughs) she was you know she was pretty uh uh tore up about it um she was like i had to take a couple days off of work like i didn't know that she didn't you know she didn't know her like i knew her she didn't know that she was okay so she was you know distraught thinking that you know maybe this little girl had died um and she was she was kind of upset about how the you know the firemen and the ambulance just were pretty cold to the situation you know um and she was like i just she's like i had to take a couple days off of work just because it was so hard to just think about that little girl and that mom and so once once she found out did you uh, tell her okay no, she had found out somehow, some way that, yeah. that she was okay. Like there was a long Facebook post by the mom just saying thank you to these stranger, you know, these strangers. Yeah. Um, I think, a, I think a day and a half later or something like that, two days later. And she happened to, so where we live, it's a town and they have a big Facebook group. And so they posted it in there. And basically if you live in our town, you, you're a part of that group. So she shot, she, she saw it through there somehow. And then they connected them. There's a bunch of people that knew. So. She was she was doing better by the time I saw her. Sure. Cool. Well, I you know congratulations. That's an aw- that's an awesome thing. Um, thank and thanks for telling that story. That was a pretty pretty detailed story. I'm trying to think if there's any any other questions to ask. That I mean, we pretty much covered all. Yeah, yeah. I think we <laughs> we, we we covered the whole story. I think um, the main point that I want to point out is that you know God is good even in the good and the bad. And that was a moment that there was a bad situation and he was good. So awesome. That was okay. all him, not me. Well, you did something. Um, you did something. <laughs> we'll, uh, we got, we got one more. So Kyle Klingman, you know, Kyle, right? I think he usually, yeah. usually joins us, but he's, I think he's traveling home from women's nationals, but he has a, a segment called sweat it out. Okay. And this okay. is, this is five questions designed to make you sweat. Okay. Are you ready to play? Let's play. Let's roll. Okay. Number one, where did Greg, where did Greg Hatcher attend college? Alma College, Alma College in Michigan. No. What former Kansas City Chiefs football player is known as the Nigerian Nightmare? Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna get this, but I know it. Um, gosh, dog it. I should know you this. Want a hint? His name. Sure. Is, uh, that's Nigerian. Well, <laughs> is that a hint? It was in the question. <laughs> I know. 
Well, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Gosh, dog it. I'm, I'm going to have to say I lose this one, and I'm embarrassed. Oh. Christian Koye. That's right. Okay. I'm embarrassed. Okay. And I'm a Chiefs fan. Did you know that? I I, I would assume Kyle did, yeah. He, yeah. he wrote these I questions. Up, I, dang it. He probably looked at your Facebook page and saw that you liked him or something. Kyle, we're going to hand fight for that hard <laughs> question. Um, what Kansas City Royals – what Kansas City Royal hit 390 during the 1980 baseball season? Um, man, that was before I was born. I'll have to say George Brett because that's about as close as I can get. You got that. What, form, uh, what famous actor from Winterset, Iowa has a real name of Marion Robert Morrison? <laughs> oh, uh, John Wayne. My son's my son's name is Duke, and and we named it after the Duke. Okay, John Wayne. There you go. What country music singer was born in Kingsland, Arkansas? Kingsland. Well, I know um, Justin Moore's from Arkansas. Um, Kingsland. Uh, would it be Elvis Presley? No. This guy wears one color. Oh, Man in Black? Johnny Cash. I did Got not it. know that. Neither did I. I know there's a, I, I know there's a big town uh, up by Memphis designated to Elvis Presley. That's why I said that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, cool. That was close. Yeah. That was close. You got four out of five. You got four out of five. You passed. You passed. You got a, a B, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to give you the final word. You know, I, I've enjoyed talking wrestling, talking uh life-saving situations and, and everything else but uh yeah you have the final word here to say anything you might want to say about anything say about anything well number one um uh, always be prepared to act that that's uh, something that i would encourage everyone to do um it, it's a it's a big deal to be able to jump in and do it and it's another thing to say it so uh, always be prepared and don't turn blind eye to things that you see uh, it's if it's even if it's as simple as pick up that piece of trash you see, um, do the right thing, right? Um, I'll say that, uh, and and I have to say it again because it's just it's incredible. God is good, and whether you see Him, feel Him, or know Him or not, He's good. Uh, and then lastly, uh, get on the Trojan train because this bubble is about to burst. And you want to be on the train. You don't want to be ran over by it. So we're excited about what's going on here in Little Rock. We got some great things going, and uh, you can you you can be a part of something special, something different, and something that is very unique. And you can help grow something from the ground up. So get on the Trojan train, Bader. All right, man. Appreciate you. You're either on the train or you're under it. Right. That's that's right. Get on, um, Neil. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Continued success to you and Little Rock. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, Bader. Thanks. See ya.